you have me at a disadvantage um, that you've had the previous couple of weeks to get the introduction. So if I, if I repeat anything, you'll, you'll forgive me about that. Um, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all have something in their mind. that they're, they're just trying to present the Lord Jesus in a particular way. Um, Matthew's big theme is the Lord Jesus as the rightful king. Jesus is king, king of kings and lord of lords, and you'll see that all through the, the chapter. Mark is a very short one, a very busy gospel, and it really paints the Lord Jesus as the perfect servant of Jehovah, the one that was always about, always doing what the Lord wanted him to do, continually about the Father's business, all that sort of stuff. Uh, John's gospel, uh, people say that it portrays Jesus as the Son of God. That is true, but it's actually a bit further than that. It's not just that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God, the Son. So it emphasizes the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's many uh, a sect would call him God the Son, but only the Bible calls him, uh, many call him the Son of God, but very few are prepared to say he's God the Son. And that's really so important when it comes to that. Luke, however, his big thing is portraying the Lord Jesus as a, a man, a real man, not an un, a, just like you and me, but not like you and me in one sense, but just like you and me, a real man. And that's so. So this particular passage from 26 to 56 is speaking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's really interesting because we know what Luke is. Luke's a doctor, isn't he? And so Luke's got a variety of things in his mind. He, he wants to make sure everybody understands from a scientific point of view that this is accurate. And he's very accurate in all his, um, his times and things like that. So we'll read the 26 to 56. It's a big passage in terms of verses, but it's also a big passage in terms of truth. Um, I don't know who, I personally don't know who divided it into chapters and verses, but they obviously knew that at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, this was so big that they had to just keep it all together. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, has is, is, is about 70 odd verses in it. We'll read the verses together. I'll stop periodically just to make some general points that we're not going to get the detail, but we'll get the general points as we go. And we'll start at verse 26. It says this. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And you'll see the detail that he puts even in that first verse. He talks about a geographical detail. He talks about a personal detail. He talks about a, a, a marital detail. And he, he even gives a... A, a genealogy detail of the house of David and that's really important because Messiah had to come from the house of David didn't he, he really he had. so that's really important and the angel came into her and said hail thou art highly favoured the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and again we have to stop just to say that that word among is significant okay uh, it doesn't Mary's a very favoured lady, we'll see that, and a very special lady, but she's not above anyone else. Do you see that? Blessed are thou among women, not above women, and those words are really, really important. And when she saw him, she was troubled as saying, and cast in her mind, or was reasoning in her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name 
Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of David forever and ever. Now, if you've got a reference Bible and a Bible with a margin, you'll see in the margin there's two references to Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 7, about a virgin conceiving, and then Isaiah 9, about what the the Messiah would be like. And so Mary would have been... uh, a religious lady and she would have been familiar with Bible reading so when the angel's telling her these things these things are ringing bells in her mind they're ringing bells in her mind this is not just something this is something huge the angel's telling her and so he says this then said the, the, then said Mary unto the angel how shall this thing be seeing I know not a man Luke's detail really important because we're going to see it later on that it's a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. So Luke's establishing very clearly the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There's going to be no dubiety about it. There's going to be no mysticism about it. Luke's going to tell us very clearly that Mary and others state very clearly that Mary had had no previous physical relationship with a man. Okay, I'm trying to put it as delicately and as diplomatically as I possibly can. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? So in case we don't get time to develop it, the Bible teaches fundamentally the importance of the belief in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, literally and physically. He's a real man with an earthly mother, but no earthly father. God is his father. And we'll read a little bit more about that detail because Mary's confused about that. How is this possible, she's going to say. You know, she, she understands what's been said here. She understands that she's going to, she's a virgin and she's going to have a child and she, she's no idea how that's going to happen. So she asks a question. Then said Mary to the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? Uh, she says this, and the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that Holy One, uh, my version says Holy Thing, but that's a bad translation. That Holy Thing, a Holy One, which shall be gotten of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And so Mary's told that some miraculous spiritual event worked by the Holy Ghost would conceive a baby in her womb. I'm taking time to point that out, folks, because that's fundamentally so important as a Christian to believe in the literal virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he had an earthly father, he was born of sin, he had sin in him, and because he had sin in him, he couldn't be our saviour. The Bible talks in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. It doesn't say the seed of the man, it says the seed of the woman. And in Galatians 4 it says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And that just doesn't mean it was the woman that gave him birth, it means that the woman was the only human participant in that conception, okay? But it's a literal, real conception, but it's a miraculous conception. It's the conception by the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Lord, of, of Mary. Now, how do we explain that? I have no idea. If you doubt the word of God, you're going to have big trouble with that. 
okay? Because you're going to try and speculate and, and, and explain. But if you believe the Bible is literally and fully the word of God, as I do, the things that I don't understand, I leave with the wisdom of God. And we can discuss them and we can enjoy them together and we can explore them together. But in the end, we have to say, there's things we understand and there's things we don't. And there's some things that God does that we don't understand. Not normally like that, but this is one of them. So we'll go down and it says, um, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Elizabeth's going to have a remarkable birth as well, isn't she? And we've, you've probably read about that or heard about that in the previous weeks. But Elizabeth's birth of her son was miraculous but different, right? Because she had an, John had an earthly father and an earthly mother. The miracle was they were too old to have babies and had a baby. So it was a miracle, right? And how do you explain that? I don't know. But that, that's what happened. But this is Luke saying, the birth of the Lord Jesus, Mary's conception was not even like Elizabeth's, it was much more significant and different. So, I'm sorry if you think I'm laboring the point, but I think it's really important to restate the fundamental importance of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means he's without sin. In him is no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He's the sinless Son of God, begotten by the Holy Ghost in the womb of Mary, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, pure and perfect, sinless in every single way. Forgive me if you think I'm laboring it, but I think it's important that we get that because we won't have time to go into the detail as we go. So, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth, her cousin. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mm, stop. Who's told Elizabeth that? I don't know. But Elizabeth recognises that the one that's to be born of Mary is no other than my Lord. My Lord. She's not talking about a cousin or a second cousin. Who is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So somewhere along the line, she's had a revelation as well about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't know where, don't know when, but we know she has. And it says this. For lo, as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Do you know what the Bible says about John the Baptist? He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. When? From his mother's womb. And... Elizabeth's got no doubt about this, that this wasn't just a normal baby kicking. The babe leaped for joy. So she's understanding that even this unborn one is recognising that into this situation has come something absolutely remarkable and miraculous. There are those who, who use this, and I, I use it as well sometimes in different contexts, that the unborn one, the unborn one has facility to react and 
understand. And when the baby leaped, the sal when the salutation sounded in my ears, the baby leaped for, for joy in the womb. The baby recognises maybe a voice and maybe a message, but the baby recognises some ex something that's happened externally. externally. And I think it's lovely that an unborn one is the first one to rejoice in the news of the birth of the Lord, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's lovely. Anyway, that's another thing altogether. Verse 46. And Mary said, oh, sorry, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which are told her from the Lord. And Mary said, this is Mary's song of praise, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. Stop, I should have, stopped. I should have made a, a comment. Um, Elizabeth said, the mother of my Lord. Right, you get that? Look what Mary says. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my saviour. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Mary recognises, and again, forgive me for labouring this, folks, because we need to understand that Mary was a very highly favoured woman, a woman that received the grace of God, but she was still a woman that needed a saviour. Right, okay. There was only one sinless one, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary says, the one that's coming is my saviour, my saviour. For he hath regarded the lower state of his handmaiden, and behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he, as he spake to her fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned unto her own house. I just want you to notice quickly as you go down through that song of Mary, that Mary's praise. Notice how many times she says he and him, right? For he hath regarded the lowest end. He is mighty. Holy is his name. His mercy. He hath showed. He hath scattered. He hath put down. He hath filled. He hath helped. He hath spoke. He is his mercy. And Mary's singing. And do you know what she's singing about? She's not singing about her. Because look what's happened to me. I've been chosen. I'm the one that's going to be this. I'm the one that's going to be that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. She's only singing about him. That's all she's interested in. All she's interested in is pointing people to the Lord and glorifying the name of the Lord. And that's a very simple message for us as we go on. So I've only got a few minutes. So I just want to say a, a very, very few things. There's four words I've got for you for ten minutes. Okay, and that's all I've got. I've got actually nine minutes. Number one, the importance of accuracy. The importance of accuracy. I've labelled, I've laboured that already. But Luke's, Luke's really concerned about accuracy, folks. I mean, look how he starts his gospel. He says, For as much as many have taken and forth to set in order the things most surely believed amongst us. And he says, eyewitnesses and ministers, he says, from the very first I want to write down to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou might know the certainty of those things of which thou hast been instructed. Luke's careful to make sure that we don't misunderstand what he's going to say. He's going to make sure that what he says is accurate and what the people believe is accurate. 
He's not going to leave sort of loose ends for you to, to interpret on your own. He's not going to make suggestions for you to expand on as you get further enlightenment. He's going to just give you truth. The things most surely believed amongst us, and he takes time and Luke one to speak about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he labours that. I've laboured it. How can it be? I've known not a man. The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you'll conceive in your womb. And he's just labouring to be accurate, so that when we believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're, we're right in believing that. This is not an interpretation or an understanding or an enlightenment. This is the stated truth of God. Because in Isaiah 9, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. And so what we've got here is the undoubted, clear, straightforward, not to be misunderstood, fulfillment of what God said in Isaiah 9, that the Messiah is coming. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. Now she'd been living, waiting for that all her life. What a... And Luke's saying, listen, make no mistake... This is it. This is it. It's a big thing, folks, isn't it? And in Galatians 4, Paul described it this. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. That means that that day when Jesus was born, this event, when Mary was told, was not some random, um, by chance, let's see and wait what happens and we'll make a decision at the time. This is not that. This is the fullness of the time. This is just at the right time in human history, just when God had planned. This is accurate. Right down to the very day and hour. And we'll see that as we go on, as we look at the birth of the Lord Jesus, the location of his birth, the time of his birth, everything about his birth was absolutely foretold in the scriptures. It's not random. It's real and it's accurate. So, so accuracy is really, really important. The other thing I want you to notice is this, is amazement. Amazement, right, okay. How would you feel if an angel appeared to you? Right, okay. You'd be amazed, wouldn't you? You'd take some convincing about that. And I think she took some convincing about it. Not because she was sceptical, but just she, how can an angel appear to me? In the Old Testament, folks, God spoke in different ways, right? Um, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manner spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us in his son. But in the Old Testament, predominant, predominantly, there were three ways that God spoke to people. One was through dreams. Very unusual for people to have dreams. Remember Joseph and, and these people had dreams. And God used dreams in the Old Testament. God used prophets in the Old Testament, right? Men who were given the word of God and they could stand up and they could say, Thus saith the Lord. So when they spoke, they were speaking out the word of God. And so people would listen to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Amos and Habakkuk and all these people. And all these people were not saying, let me just tell you what I think. They were saying, thus saith the Lord. And the people who were listening would listen as though they were listening to God. The third way that God would speak would be through angels. And angels appeared frequently in, in the Old Testament, didn't they? And they appeared because they were... Angels are messengers of God. That's what an angel means. Someone who carries a message from God. Two functions of angels, and again, we could be here all day. One is to carry a message from God, and the one that carries God's message is, is Gabriel, 
that's the kind of main messenger from God. The other one is to fight battles on behalf of God in spiritual realms. And the one that's involved in that is Michael. Thank you. So they are the sort of two named uh, angels in the Bible, Gabriel. So angels is not a, a foreign concept to, 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 old, to, to Jewish people. But it was a foreign concept that an angel would appear to this woman. I mean, she's, she's a young woman, she's an insignificant woman, and God chooses her to appear. She, she's amazed. She's amazed. We application here, folks. Are you not amazed that God put his hand on you? Are you? By his grace and mercy, through the preaching of the gospel and the word of God, God put his hand on you and said, I'm going to make you minds. I'm going to make you minds. What did any of us do to deserve that? Nothing. What significance had any of us had in any realm at all? None. And she's so amazed that God would choose to, to pick out her. Grace has been shown to you. She knows that she doesn't deserve it. What grace? you found favour. you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Every one of us sitting here this morning has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's why... John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So there's, there's accuracy, there's amazement here. The next thing is acceptance. Acceptance, right? What Mary heard was quite remarkable, folks. Because later on, when we talk about Joseph, when Joseph gets the same news, you know, he's worried about what's going to happen, isn't he? He's worried about what people are going to say. And so his initial plan is because they're not married, and he knows that people should be married, because they're not married, he knows that he's going to be, you know, the kind of outcast of that particular society, and he thinks, like, let's just try and, let's just try and keep this under the covers. Let's just try and keep this quiet. Let's just put away Mary secretly, because he doesn't want to bring any uh, reproach on Mary, because he knows she's a good woman, uh, but he just doesn't want to make a big thing of it. And his plan is to, but no, and Mary's thinking exactly the same. What will people think of me when they discover I'm expecting a baby? And I, I'm not married. But the angel explains what's happening. And she's happy to accept the word of God through the angel. Even if that brings some reproach from our society. She's a good woman, isn't she? She's a good woman. She's a really lovely spiritual woman who would bow to the will of God before anything else in her life, irrespective of what it costs. If it meant social, being a social outcast, if it meant being rejected, she would take that as long as she was accepting the will of God. Big thing for us, folks. Big thing for us, isn't it? Would we accept the word and the will of God for our life if it meant reproach? If it meant embarrassment? If it meant society cut us off? Would we accept what God says? Folks, more and more we're going to have to. Aren't we? More and more we're going to have to stand for truth of the word of God, which will mean that society in general will say, I'm afraid you guys are out of step with us. We don't think you're worthy of even any consideration or respect. As a matter of fact, we think you're worthy of much more than that. We think you're worthy to be despised. Isn't that right? Isn't Christians getting that these days? just for standing for the word of God so, the, so there's, 
accuracy and there's amazement and there's exception, acceptance. And the third thing I want to say to you is this, adoration, adoration. When she realised what was happening and when she realised what God was doing and when she realised that God had chosen her by grace and when she realised that what was going to happen was going to change history, she just couldn't help but praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, matter of fact, if you go through the, the whole of the book of Luke, there's just loads of people that just, when they realise truth, just burst out into praise. They just, it's so much so, I mean, Zacharias does that, the angels do it, the shepherds do it, the disciples do it. There's tons of people just, when they understand the word of God, it just bursts out in praise. Shouldn't we be like that? Just folks that burst out in praise. They so understand the goodness and grace of God and his magnificence that they burst out in praise. And she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, and from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. But I'm going to tell you, it's not about me, it's all about him. That's what she's saying really, isn't it? And that's what we should be doing. Our life should be all about him and not about us. So, one more thing and I'm finished. When Mary got this message from the angel, there had been 400 years of silence from God. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament and God had said no more for 400 years. There hadn't been another prophet, there hadn't been another angel, there hadn't been another dream. It's called the intertestamental period. That's what it's called, the people call it. It's about 400 years. And some things had happened in that nation, the Jewish nation, during that 400 years. They had, they had gone downhill from a national point of view. They'd been through a variety of different problems with neighbours had been taken over. And when this is written, they're under occupation by a foreign army. The Romans are there, right? So they've... they've Nationally, they're, they're in a mess. Really, they're in a mess. But spiritually, they're in a bit of a mess as well, you know. Because during that time, three, the temple was still there, the second temple was still there, but this was when the synagogues were developed. You know we've got synagogues up here. That was never God's intention, but they developed the synagogue system during the intertestamental period. And there was three kind of main characters appeared during that period. There was what we call... Pharisees. You heard of them in the Bible, right? You know what the Lord Jesus thought about Pharisees. They were ritualists. What they meant, what they said was, as long as you keep the rules, it doesn't matter what you're like inside. Matter of fact, the Lord called them whited sepulchres, didn't he? He says, you're just gravestones that have been painted nice on the outside, but inside you're just full of dead man's bones. You're dead inside even though you look good outside. And Pharisees weren't interested in how you were inside. Your relationship with the Lord didn't matter as long as you kept their rules and do the rituals and go through the motions and, and tick the boxes. I'm not caring whether you're in touch with God or not. That, that's what, Folks, we need to be careful of that. Christianity is not about ritualism. It's not. It's not about just ticking boxes. Now, there's things we must do. But we've got to do them because of an inner experience and personal relationship with the Lord. Then there was Sadducees. They were rationalists. The rationalists used their mind to explain away the things that they didn't understand. That was why I was talking earlier on about just accepting things by faith. How can, there, how can the dead be raised? Right, okay, so they didn't believe in the resurrection. These angels things, we don't believe in angels, we don't believe in life after death, and they just explained it all away in their mind. And the Christian church today is full of people that just want to explain away Christian truth in their mind, isn't it? You know? 
Then there was called the Herodians, and the Herodians were the guys that sort of rubbed shoulders with, with, with the society that they were in, and cozied up to whoever was in power at the time, and just lived as best, just lived to be accepted in the world. Why am I saying that? Because other than those three, when we start Luke's Gospel, there's a group of people, you could almost call them the remnant, who are waiting for the Lord to come, who have held true to the truth, who love the word of God and are waiting for the Lord Jesus, are waiting for the Messiah to come. These people were faithful to the word of God, they were willing to be used by God, and they were faithful to the promises of God. And they were waiting for the Messiah to come. Let me just read you a couple of verses and then we'll finish. This is what Paul says about the Thessalonians. Young Christians, just saved. Not old crinklies like me that have got stuck in their ways. These are just young Christians. They're saved and they're, they're, they're loving reading their Bible and they're loving going on for the Lord. This isn't what he writes them. That's what he says. From you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only in Macedonia, but in Achaia. And, and to every place, your faith to God's word is spread abroad, abroad. So that we don't need to write anything about you. These young Christians were known to be faithful to the Lord. In the midst of a secular, difficult society, people said, whoever they are, they're faithful to the Lord. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So they're, so they're, they're faithful to the word of God. They're willing to accept the word of God. Listen to what it says out there. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And when that remnant, Elizabeth, Zacharias, Anna, Simeon, Mary, Joseph, who were faithful to the word and waiting for the Lord coming, when the Lord decided to come, they were ready. They were ready. And they praised and just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming again. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's coming again. And what's he going to look for when he comes? Is there any faith on the earth? He's going to be looking for faithful people who are just living their life saying, Lord, even so come. May the Lord help us to be like me, amazed at the grace of God, accepting of the will of God, and be prepared to adore the great God that we have. So much more in that passage. Forgive me, folks, but you'll need to enjoy that yourself at another time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the amazing grace that you've shown to us. Mary must have been completely astonished that you would choose her to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And we won't have that privilege, we know, but we're privileged in other ways, Lord, and we're amazed that from the whole society around us your word has reached us and your spirit has dealt with us and your grace has saved us and why why lord why oh lord such love to me we don't know but we are thankful and we believe it we thank thee for the lord jesus coming we think of this miracle of his virgin birth we believe it lord we state again emphatically and clearly we believe in the virgin birth of the lord jesus christ we're thankful that he came sinless to be our saviour. And now as we just separate, help us to be those that love thee and wait for thee. And as we take a little refreshment and then have a meal together, 
May we do it all for thy glory. We give thanks again in the Lord's name. Amen. I stole some time, but not as much as the loser usually steals. Ha, ha, ha.